Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two on 3D imaging. And we spoke before about some of the topics related to volume rendering in MIP and advantages and disadvantages. And one of the things um, we also spoke about was how things have changed, how hardware has gotten faster, how the processing can be done on ever cheaper platforms. Another thing that's changed is in the old days, we had one tool that we used for everything. Now we have many specific tools like bone editing tools. We have vascular segmentation tools. We have coronary artery tracking and assessment. We have stent placement programs. We have fly-through programs for virtual colonoscopy. We have CAD for lung nodules or colonoscopy or coronary arteries. And we have tools for volume. So we are getting a lot more tools. There's some things, however, that are very much cross boundaries. So one is the ability to remove bone. Now we developed or helped develop this interactive watershed transform technique, which allowed us to remove bone from data sets. So if you look at this data set, you very nicely see the cirrhotic liver, you see the ribs present. And when you do the 3D imaging, you see the portal vein, you see the uh, large varices in the gastric fundus. But the ribs tend to get in the way of the spleen as well as the liver. And so with the segmentation technique, we can go in and remove the ribs very quickly. And so we have a much better look at a much cleaner data set. Now, bone removal is very important for many of the applications we have, particularly vascular applications. Now, a key thing, of course, is now with dual energy technique, with dual energy, you're able to separate the data into different parts and because of the difference of the uh, atomic number of calcium and iodine, we're able to separate contrast enhanced structures from bone. And you can see how well the computer does it without your interaction. And so then you're able to create beautiful 3D maps. In this case, a graft off the patient's aorta to the left common iliac artery in both volume rendering and MIP. And so dual energy is something that's available on a lot of high-end scanners now. I think it's going to become available on lower-end scanners over the next couple of years. What's important about dual energy, there are many good possibilities, but I'm saying that the best application to me today is bone removal. The energy dependence of the photoelectric effect and variability of K-edges form the basis for dual energy techniques. K-edge refers to the spike in attenuation that occurs and energy levels just greater than that of the K-shell binding because of the increased photoelectric absorption at these levels. And the K-edge will vary for each element, and they increase as the atomic number increases. So when you look at these key materials, the thing you really appreciate is the difference between, as I mentioned, calcium and iodine. K-edge of 4 to 33 because of the variability in the atomic number of 20 to 53. Now, whether you have two-source uh, dual energy like a Siemens scanner with two X-ray tubes or a single source like GE, the processes will indeed work. One of the nice things with dual energy, you're able to decrease the dose of uh, you're able to decrease the dose of contrast you use. You also can potentially decrease the radiation dose and reduce some artifacts. So here's another example where we're able to remove the bone very quickly, and you can see peripheral vascular disease with multiple areas of stenosis. People like POSMA have written articles looking at 
dual energy and bone removal. This was for the brain and intracranial vessels, which is one of the most difficult areas with classic bone removal to work. But they've been very successful with dual energy. And in an article we published at Hopkins, Fritz made the point that with vascular injuries, bone removal is important and that dual energy works very nicely. And here's just one such example where there's early filling of the vein, uh, the um, femoral vein and the patient's uh, popliteal vein. And you can see this is an AV fistula. Now, when patients have trauma, this patient had a gunshot wound. Uh, you can see air in the soft tissue. And you, when you look at the MIP, you very nicely see that on these images with bone removal, narrowing of the patient's superficial femoral artery and popliteal artery. This was due to spasm. You can rotate the images so the bullets are not in the vessel, but near the vessel. There's no active bleed seen. And so this ability to look at vascular injury is very important. It's a key for CT angiography in the trauma setting. And dual energy with bone removal only makes it better. I mentioned the head area. Look at the example here with the base of the skull, how easy it is to remove it. You have the circle of willows very nicely, the intracranial circulation. You do need to understand that with any technique, there's artifact. And here, when you look quickly, it looks like the patient's uh, left uh, subclavian is occluded, perhaps. Uh, and then you look and you put the vessel back into the left, uh, left side. And you realize when you go back to the original data, it's artifact. It was beam hardening off the contrast in the right axilla, and that caused the vessel to drop out. And when you go back in and fix it, you can see the vessel is perfectly normal. So again, you always want to be careful when you look at findings on the 3D to make sure you see similar findings on the axial and multiplanar. It, it usually, it usually, not only usually, it has to be there. And you need to be very careful to avoid any artifact. Now, I mentioned before that the adoption of 3D has been slow, but things may change. Here's a consensus from the American Pancreatic Association and the Society of Abdominal Imaging, SAR, on pancreatic cancer. And what they were trying to do is figure out a way of designing protocols that everybody can follow so that when we look at how patients respond to therapy or how patients are treated, we can look at site to site without any variation being based simply on the imaging or imaging interpretation. The idea was to have a standardized reporting format, which makes some sense so that we have some similarity across the processes, across institutions, and across the world. Now, what was really good about this article, I thought, was that not only did we say we need to define how we interpret the study, but it became clear that if you want to interpret it correctly, you need to have good data sets. And so the ability to create good data sets was critical. You need to be able to generate high quality reformatted images and 3D reconstructions for accurate staging. MDCT and geography became a, a critical part. And the, the article went so far as to say that if a patient had a study and it wasn't of good quality, it is therefore essential that these patients undergo repeat imaging with a dedicated pancreatic CT exam that includes biphasic multi-detector CT angiography. So it became a very important criteria. This article goes through the findings of how you describe the protocol. So it tells you how to do the study. It tells you how to interpret the study, whether it's on the arterial side or whether it's on the venous side. 
So again, it's not just saying one thing, it's looking at everything from data acquisition to data post-processing to data display to interpretation of the data. So when you're looking at a patient with a pancreatic mass, things we need to look at are the tumor, but also the vessels and collaterals. And it's been shown for a long time that 3D makes a big difference. This article by Rapitopoulos, by adding 3D of the vessels, negative predictive value of resectable tumor was 96% compared to 70% for axial alone. Or this article soon after by House that made the point that 3D CT was 95% accurate in determining cancer invasion of the superior mesenteric vessels. So very, very important changes management, changes diagnosis, and staging. The ability to visualize mesenteric vasculature in real time with 3D and MPR is crucial for comprehensive evaluation of the mesenteric vessels. So it becomes a critical part and not something that is indeed optional. So if you look a little bit closer, when we talk about the vasculature, we're not only going to talk about vessel encasement, but anatomy. So it's important to the surgeon to know the anomalous vessels, or in this case, the fact that the SMA and celiac have a combined trunk. Or in this case, there seem to be collaterals around the head of the pancreas. And when you look at the 3D, the GDA is markedly dilated, and you can see it connects to the patient's um, SMA, and you can see it very nicely in 3D as I rotate the images ever so slightly. And if you look hard, what you're really dealing with here is the significant stenosis of the proximal celiac axis. And the way you get flow through the hepatic artery is via a dilated GDA, which carries it up to the hepatic artery. This is called median awkward ligament syndrome, where the median awkward ligament compresses the patient's celiac axis. And it's a very important diagnosis, particularly in patients who are going for pancreatic surgery in a Whipple's procedure. And here's just another example very nicely showing you the narrowed, nearly occluded celiac, the normal SMA, and post dilatation beyond it. And again, a very nice example showing you exactly what's happening. And it's impressive, the collateral pathways. Sometimes people don't appreciate that in the axial view. Sometimes without contrast, you read what looks like a pancreatic mass because you have a lot more structure in and around the pancreatic gland. But you can see it very nicely on these 3D imaging. And again, it's critical, especially in patients who are potential liver transplant candidates, patients with planned extensive hepatic resection, and patients for Whipple's procedure. And the reason it's so important in a patient for Whipple's procedure is a Whipple's procedure, you sacrifice the GDA. If you sacrifice the GDA in this patient, it's a key collateral pathway. Uh, this patient will infarct the liver. Very, very important. Now, when we look at 3D imaging, in this case, we talk about staging pancreatic cancer. You can see the infiltration around the patient's SMA. And you can see in this case, the infiltration around the patient's SMV. The SMV uh, is markedly narrowed on the 3D imaging. MIP is particularly good at giving this global presentation. It's still patent, but marked narrowing at the origin of the splenic, hepatic, and portal vein. Or in this case, we see the patient has a mass in the pancreas. There's some inflammatory changes present to the tail of the pancreas. And then you look at the reconstructed views, and you see that the splenic vein is occluded, but the tumor is growing into the portal vein. So this patient would not be resectable at this point. The tumor is infiltrating, but not 
resectable. So again, very, very important to be looking. And you can see I'm showing you 3D MIP. I'm showing you 3D volumes. I'm showing you coronal multiplanar imaging. All of this tends to work together. Now, one of the things we, we've spoken about is the importance of the data set. There's no data. As data gets better, we can do a lot more. And with these large volume data sets, it really defines how we need to use things. So for example, in the liver, you can see a very nice example of the patient's hepatic artery. You can see the branching within the liver. You can see the GDA well. This is MIP imaging. And so for preoperative planning, it's important. And you can see, if, for example, in this case, where the patient has a cholangiocarcinoma, you don't visualize the mass well, but you visualize the hepatic artery, which is narrowed and nearly occluded, which you can see very nicely as I show you that. So again, vascular imaging, whether it's in tumors, whether it's in trauma, it's something that you routinely can see and the 3D mapping becomes very critical. Trying to understand things simply on an axial imaging doesn't work very well. The same thing is true in looking at hepatic tumors. We talk about how lesions have signatures and with hemangioma, you can see very nicely in this case, the puddling around the edge of the lesion, but that puddling, that uh, starry night appearance is particularly well seen in the 3D MIP image. You can see the feeding vessels, which are not enlarged. You really can very nicely in this example appreciate this signature better in 3D. Or in this case, again, which is classic on the axials for hemangioma, but the puddling is truly well appreciated in 3D imaging. So 3D enhances what we see. Or in focal nodular hyperplasia, we talk about a hypervascular lesion which becomes isodense. We talk about the lesion's appearance with a central scar. And to the central scar, there's a feeding vessel. And whenever you talk about a feeding vessel or a central scar in 3D, in this case MIP, it works a whole lot better. Or in this case, where you see the large feeding vessel off the hepatic artery going to the central zone of that mass, which was also focal nodular hyperplasia. We talk about it also in things like hepatoma, where there's a question at times, does a patient have a hepatoma in a cirrhotic liver, and we see a small vascular lesion, and only appreciate in 3D the neovascularity, the abnormal feeding vessel, the ability to recognize that, or in this case as well, where there's no mass present, but the neovascularity on the 3D MIP really makes you no, there must be a tumor present, while the axial imaging is just not going to give you the information. Also, we talk about how chemotherapy these days is related to the patient's tumor vascularity. This is true in kidney and liver as two examples. And you look at this liver mass, arterial and venous, there's some vascularity, but it's not that impressive. But take those same images, put it in volume rendering, and then put it in MIP. Look at that neovascularity. There's no doubt you can look at the vascular nature of this tumor, which is easily to appreciate and quantify on the 3D, but very, very difficult to appreciate on the axial imaging. And we talk about other vascular lesions, including metastasis, the ability to recognize signatures, rim enhancement, and the neovascularity around the lesion with the regular vessels feeding into the lesion is something that's very nicely shown. And it's not just within liver, 
but in kidneys, the ability to look at neovascularity, determine therapy based on neovascularity, predict response based on neovascularity, or define the extent of the patient's tumor. And there are many different things we can look at in terms of where imaging is going, but when you start looking at things, it's really important to recognize the changes in terms of vascular imaging and the importance of 3D mapping. Now, in saying that, it's not always going to be just vascular processes. There are other things that could uh, really benefit from the 3D mapping, and one of them is CTRography. But let's do this. Let's take a break for a couple minutes and come back, and we'll discuss more about 3D imaging. See you in a few moments. Thanks.